we're still the number one place to invest. Uh, U.S. Treasuries are still the risk-free investment globally. We're still over half of the global equity market. So I think that's a tailwind to remain in leadership. Ballast Office in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to The Ballast Life, a series of conversations highlighting respected professionals, community leaders, and important topics that are necessary to achieving financial cohesion. Hi, everyone. John Boardman, founder and CEO of Ballast. Uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, today is January 22nd, 2021. And we are two days past the inauguration, and we thought it would be a wonderful time to record a podcast of some of our thoughts looking at the remainder of this year. Now that the, the calendar has turned, you know, we're still dealing with many of the issues that we had in 2020, although many of us were hoping that 2021 would look um, completely different, at least it's starting uh, very similar, similarly to the way that it ended it. So, we just wanted to go around the room and get everyone's thoughts on what they're looking at and talking to clients about uh, starting this calendar year. You know, we want to be forward looking. I think we've always uh, tried to take a very long-term perspective for our clients, which from an investment standpoint is typically the, the best thing you can do. We also try to not be too political uh, for, for two reasons. One, uh, can't really say anything these days without offending someone, but more importantly, it's really not our job to be political. Uh, you know, we have to deal with the conditions, uh, the policy conditions that we're in. And um, I think if we try to make decisions in consideration of our own political beliefs, um, it might take us through a filter that uh, might lead us to improper decision-making for our clients. So that's the stance we take as a group. Um, and uh, I think it's proven over the years to be, to be beneficial to our clients. So I wanna go ahead and get started. I'm gonna start with Brian. Um, and first I wanna introduce everybody actually. I've got Andy Reynolds, uh, who is our partner, chief operating officer and financial advocate. Uh, Brian Burton, who is a partner and director of portfolio strategy. Cameron Hamilton, who is a partner and uh, director of financial planning. And Frank Yoswick, who is our director of estate planning and tax. So we'll get perspectives from everyone on a number of different topics today. and. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll keep this swift as we address a number of topics today. So Brian, I'm gonna go ahead and start with you. Markets had a fairly uh, wild 2020, uh, pretty remarkable looking how the markets ended um, and thinking back to where it was you know, nine months prior. Um, what do you attribute the, the, the activity of 2020 to? Yeah, I mean, John, the, the old adage that the uh, stock market is not the economy has never rang more true than, than it did in, in 2020. Um, if you just look at the Russell 2000 index, which is a, a measure of U.S. small cap companies, uh, that index was down you know, nearly 40 uh, percent year to date in, in the middle of March um, and ended the year actually up 18 percent. Uh, so an incredible recovery in just nine months time. Um, people talk about disconnect between the uh, economy and markets. Just looking at small cap companies, you had an index up 18% while the number of small businesses in the U.S. plunged by 25%. So 
really an incredible recovery uh, from the markets. Uh, so many negative headlines throughout the year, um, hundreds of thousands uh, of deaths from COVID-19. Uh, you mentioned politic politics, uh, obviously a very deep political divide in, in this country, but the mood on Wall Street, uh, very much upbeat um, from second quarter on throughout the year. Um, and, and at times almost euphoric. Uh, we, it's amazing how the market can ignore uh, the dystopian present and just fast forward to uh, a utopian future. And that's what markets tend to do. And that's that's what we saw in, in 2020. Um, there were some good, good solid reasons though why, the, why markets rallied um, as swiftly as they did off the lows. Uh, we had unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus. So we had bond purchases, uh, massive bond purchases by, by the Fed. You had direct payments uh, to individuals and families, um, and you had forgivable loans to small businesses. Uh, so just a ton of market of money flowing into the economy uh, when it was most needed. Um, and with that, markets are, are convinced that the Federal Reserve will, will take immediate swift action um, at any hint of an economic downturn. Um, so the Fed backstop is there. It's very much powerful. Um, markets love certainty and they feel right now that the Fed being there is a certainty. Um, inflation uh, has continued to remain low. Uh, it's a positive for equity markets. Um, and although low interest rates are a negative for fixed income investors, uh, it continues to be a boon for the stock market. Um, the acronym TINA, which is there is no alternative, uh, is very much alive and well uh, in this time. And that's why we continue to see a lot of inflows into equity markets. I think something else to add on to that as well, Brian, is you know we've seen a really segmented impact of this pandemic. And you know when you start looking at GDP and you start looking at profitability of some of these companies that may not have been in the entertainment or the food industry, some of them have done really, really well. Speaking with small business owners um, here locally, you know we have several small business owners that had one of their best years ever this year. So, it, you know, people are, are spending money still. It's just looking a little bit different. Um, and to your point about the stimulus, they're also getting a little bit more money to spend. And if they happen to not be in some of those industries that were significantly impacted, um, they may have actually had one of their better years ever. Yeah, I mean, I've, if, if we think about the stimulus package, as Brian referenced, and the size of it and the magnitude of it, you know, people punch holes in every policy you know that washington puts out but in in retrospect it was it was wildly successful i mean to be able to get money out that quickly to business owners many of which who were probably considering closing temporarily or permanently in the middle of that it was a it was a pretty remarkable feat of course there were inefficiencies and people got money who probably didn't need it um but it it got to the people that did need it for the most part it, I, I, if i Recall the second round of PPP funding it actually took a while to, to fully be used up. If it was, there may have even been some left over at the very end. I mean, it was it was a pretty remarkable tool that was that was put in place, and and obviously we have got another one coming up now. Um, Andy, let's let's go to you. Um, getting a lot of questions about you know some of the high flying names um, that that are in the markets these days and the, the stories of these companies. Um, so the natural question is, 
are we in a bubble? You know, or is the, is the market in a bubble? Is this something we need to run away from? Yeah, I think it's something we need to be very cognizant about and we need to really think through how that is impacted. You know, are we in a bubble? Perhaps um, we would be ignorant, I think, to ignore that potential. Um, valuations will matter at some point. You start looking at these PE ratios of companies, even, even our big tech companies that ran with relatively low PE ratios for a while, and they've just skyrocketed. Um, those will matter at some point. Is that in the next six months? I don't know. Um, it, it may, maybe it, it takes long enough to where the companies can raise revenue and the PE ratio just naturally comes down. Um, nobody knows when, when a bubble actually is gonna occur. And, and even if you are in a bubble, whether or not it will burst. Um, so, you know, I think the other thing that we also have to be aware of is just interest rates and, and kind of that Tina word. Um, what else are you going to do with your money right now? There's not a great place to put money other than the equity markets, just with interest rates being so low and potentially rising um, and potentially inflation on the back end of that. It, it, there's a lot of tailwinds for the equity market. Um, so, you know, more likely than a bubble bursting, what probably we see is new flows of, of money going into some of those more attractive, uh, attractively valued companies, those deep value names. Um, I think both can do well over the, the midterm, but you may see a, a better return of the companies where the PE ratio makes a little bit more, more sense. Um, we also just have to recognize that some of these companies have come from nowhere and the pandemic has expedited that change. You talk, you talk about Zoom, what we're on right now. You go back 18 months from now and how many people would have had a clue how to get on Zoom? Um, so it's forced a, an expedited change that was coming um, and no one knows how that plays out. I can, I can promise you that you know, 18 months ago, I don't think we were Zooming with any clients. And 18 months from now, we probably will still have several Zoom meetings, hopefully a whole lot less than we have now. But I think this technology and, and many other things is embraced and it's here to stay. So those PE ratios, while they may seem exorbitant now and, and way out of line, uh, the growth could grow into them to make them a little bit more palatable. Yeah, good point. You know, there we don't have to look that far to find examples of companies that traded at, at exorbitant PE ratios that ended up crashing down and others that grew into the, the expectations that, that, the, that Wall Street and investors had for it. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting thinking, it, thinking about how Wall Street maybe looks at one industry or a specific company versus another and really has sort of different different standards by which by which they're judged. Yeah, and the, the thing that the biggest question is, uh, so I guess the bubble question, I mean, I, we have to say, yes, we're in something. The question is, how do you get out of it? Is it a burst to where we come crashing down or is it a pause to where the stock price stays stagnant for a period of time and allows the revenue to catch up to make it look a little bit more reasonable and in line with, with what you traditionally expect? Good point. Is it general or is it 
more sector specific for some of these names that have run up because we've seen kind of a, a renaissance in value early on this year. So I'm, I'm kind of, my opinion is towards the latter, hopefully. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of impacts that that are affecting that index investing is is I think a big um, tailwind for these PE ratios. Um, but yeah, I think there will be a day where we all wake up and we say, "Oh my goodness, this stock that's in this index, it's it's PE ratio is nowhere near what it should be," and and money floods into that. Um, the question is where it comes from. Is yeah. it new money or is it money that? very quickly left these high flyers. The, uh, the stimulus that, that paid out, they said not, not coincidentally, uh, Robinhood had a lot of transactions around the very same value, uh, the number value of dollar value, I should say, of, of those stimulus payments. So sort of interesting. Probably a better use than just going out and spending it, although I think the intent was to go out and spend it um, from, from the government. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to downplay the uh, the risk that, that uh, is posed at this point with valuations where they are, but don't forget that Amazon in 2012 traded at a 3,600 PE and the stock was at $250 a share. So uh, not to say any of these companies are Amazon, but... Uh, yeah, it's a good point. That's a very good point. Cam, let's, let's turn... Um, to sort of looking at not politics necessarily, but we do have a new administration. Um, you know, we've seen some executive orders already in the first um, couple of days. But what about legislation? You know, you're our uh, uh, resident financial planning guru, and so a lot of these potentially policy changes, tax changes, could impact the planning that that you orchestrate. Um, what are you paying closest attention to? Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to get a little bit political here, but I think it's really just about us reading the, the tea leaves on the environment. The first thing I'll say is, in general, I think markets tend to like a divided government um, just because that lends itself to gridlock. And I think that that's what a lot of people thought was going to happen in Q4. Um, those, those Georgia races flipped it to a very narrow majority. So essentially we're as close as we can be um, to a divided government. So that means that um, Congress is going to have to, uh, is, is not going to be able to ram through, you know, the more extreme policies from the left. I think there's going to be need, need to be some cooperation. So early on, I'm going to be watching how the first COVID relief plan comes together and what type of cooperation there is there. So there's been talk of new direct payments uh, to citizens um, extending unemployment, um, whether there's child tax credit, state aid, that'll show a good marker for what type of cooperation there is. And I think that kind of sets the stage for if there's any type of signature legislation that comes up, it's going to take cooperation. So I think the one that everyone has their minds on is tax reform. Uh, there was tax reform at the end of 17 in the last administration. And is it just a complete remaking my personal belief is you know some of the more extreme um, proposals that were made during the election uh, won't come to fruition so they say you you get elected on the edges but then you have to govern through the middle and, and that's kind of already what I'm seeing so I think we can expect changes you know the um, top marginal tax bracket I really expect to, to increase maybe back to 39.6 something like that 
corporate tax rates going up to a, a higher level that's intermediate from, from the low 21% we have. I've seen 28 thrown out there, which would be lower than 10 years ago, but higher than today. Uh, but as far as like more extreme measures that would remake the tax system, um, you know, long-term capital gains rates being really preferential at 15 to 20% right now, going back to ordinary income, it, it really doesn't look like there's the support there to happen. So, uh, but, but that brings up a lot of planning opportunities. And um, well, the good thing is, I think we're always thinking with our clients very long-term and trying to design a balance sheet that can be successful in any number of situations. So I tell, I tell people I'm expecting tax rates to go up over time. Uh, Budget-wise, that's the only place that makes sense. Uh, so we do a lot of things with Roth. We're big champions of Roth that um, I think if there is increased taxes, our clients will benefit from kind of our thesis on that. Uh, that we've had to date. But, you know, I think really it's just about moderation of policies. You know, one of the things during the election was cancellation of student debt, you hear. Uh, I don't think there's a wholesale cancellation. I'm seeing proposals like, well, we'll do income-based, and then if someone's on that plan for 20 years and it gets forgiven, it won't be taxable. So uh, that's a dramatic moderation from some of the proposals we were seeing a year and a half ago by people trying to to get a nomination. So that's what I'm hoping for. But either way, we're going to plan around it with our clients, no matter what comes to fruition. I, I think one thing just to quickly add is we sent out a commentary in November, right before the election, um, with some studies that Fidelity and, and American Funds did going back and just kind of talking about a, a new administration the markets do well in any combination of leadership and relatively similarly well. So that's going through tax changes, going through crises, going through wars, going through all kinds of different things. So I think that's one thing to, to Cam's point, we got to have a long-term perspective and we are very divided right now. And we've had phone calls from both sides saying, no matter what happens, the world's ending. And I don't think that's happening and history would show us that, you know, going back to kind of what we are, we're, we're, we, we survive and, and we move on and the, the market can do well and the economy can do well no matter who's in leadership. Um, it's, it's hard to, as Cam was saying, make big sweeping changes. You, you govern in the middle. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's good for investors long term. I don't think it's good for confidence long-term or political division long-term for us today. You know, every four or eight years have this sort of tidal wave of policy that completely reverses what the previous, um, you know, administration, you know, put in place. Um, I think Wall Street investors markets, most importantly, respond best to less activity um, and sort of letting companies operate. How difficult is it for a large multinational company to plan five and 10 years ahead if they don't know what the environment's going to look like. And so um, that, I think that will be something to, to closely watch. I did want to touch on interest rates, um, which a couple people have mentioned, and I'll say something briefly and anyone else chime in too. We've had a lot of questions about rates being so low. It's been, I mean, just a, a, an absurdly uh, great opportunity for people to refinance 
multiple times uh, over the last 10 years. I mean, just when we think we've hit a, a new low in, in rates, we find another new low. And, you know, now, you know, you have people refinancing, you know, 15 year loans at under, you know, 2%. We talked to someone the other day and 30 year under, under 3%. I mean, just remarkably low rates. Great for, for those people who are borrowers, not so great for fixed income investors, um, people that have cash. That environment appears to be in place for a while, um, has been in place for a while. Um, but the question is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing in the temporary um, for, for borrowers and obviously not so much for savers, but in the long run, it's something that, you know, it could create some issues. You know, it, it is lending money to someone for 30 years at under 3% per year, a proper measurement of the risk that the lender is taking on. I would argue it's not. Um, and it's sort of been a sort of a supplemented um, lending structure that we've been in for the last uh, bit since the Fed's gotten so involved uh, in trying to keep rates as low as possible for so long. Um, that hopefully will play itself out methodically and we won't see rates come up very quickly. But if we did, that could be a real shock to the system. Um, I think we'd have to see inflation. And the one thing the Fed has really, I think, celebrated uh, and surprisingly celebrated is the fact that inflation has not reared its head like, the, like it was expected to. Um, it would have been hard to argue you know, when, if we look at, I mean, rates have technically been coming down for over 40 years, but if we look at the last decade specifically and, they, and um, you know, well, more than that, really looking back to when it all started in the financial crisis, when it really went low, um, it would be hard to argue that we wouldn't see some meaningful amount of inflation at this point. And wages just have not crept up. There's a lot of structural things that probably are lending to that that we can talk about on, on a future podcast. but. So far, the Fed's benefiting from that. It's allowed them to stay patient with easy money policy for a longer period of time. And, and Jerome Powell confirmed that um, when, when he spoke last week. Anyone else have any thoughts on rates? Yeah, I, I, you know, John, it's a, it's a very hot topic, and as it should be. And, you know, my biggest concern with rates, and I think, you know, one of the toughest things that the Fed has on their plate is how how can they ever lift rates off of these extremely low levels? Um, if you look at the housing market currently, um, there's already too many dollars chasing too few homes. Um, and if you if you if rates all of a sudden go up, people are probably paying uh, more for homes than what they're worth already. Uh, if you see rates tick up, uh, you know even to four. I think you get a gridlock in, in, the, in the housing industry. Uh, people become upside down on their on their mortgages very quickly. Uh, so it's a it's going to be a difficult uh, situation for the Fed to to ever move rates off of these levels. I think they need to. I just uh, I hope it's done uh, in a very uh, methodical, uh, slow, well thought out manner. And a little bit, they painted themselves into a corner because we've been so low. And so then they went to, you know, forward projections saying we're going to keep it low. And now we've kind of added or, or changed the philosophy on when the rates need to, or when the rate increases need to start. So that like John was saying, uh, Jay Powell coming out and saying that inflation can run above 2% for a moderate amount of time, which I'm, I know we can parse the words on that, but they're, they're indicating that not anytime soon. So 
Sometimes I feel like our conversations are like Groundhog Day. You know, for the past decade, anybody who's been working with us that long, you know, almost every meeting, it's we got to be cognizant when rates rise, when rates rise, when rates rise. So, you know, it, it's I, I think it's going to be a whole lot harder than anybody gives it credit for to, to actually do it unless you just bust through raising rates. And, and that's where the real damage could occur, as you're saying, Brian. Um, so it's it does feel like a repetitive story that has not changed in over a decade. Yeah, so the moral of the story is, if you're refinancing, go from a 30 to a 15 year. Do something productive. Yeah. Don't you just know, free cash. Yeah, good point. You know, it's also, it's gonna have to be a, a global shift. It's almost gonna have to be in unison. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you know, you've got countries that are, if they remain negative, you know, zero rates and the U.S. even ticks up to one and a half, money's going to flood into the U.S. treasuries uh, and, and, and rates are going <laughs> to remain, you know, depressed. So, Absolutely. Frank, let's pivot to you. Um, like I said, 2021, we hoped, you know, New Year's Eve was going to be the last day we'd be dealing with COVID and we're 22 days into the new year and it's still a big concern. Um, at some point, COVID will be in our rear view mirror. Uh, what, do you, what do you think the economy is going to look like as that happens or, or after that happens? Well, I, I know we've all got our fingers crossed that that day comes sooner than later. I think everybody's ready to go um, back to quote unquote normal, whatever that's gonna be. And that's kind of what I think the theme is going to be, at least in the immediate short term, is pent up demand. You know, as people get more comfortable going back to normal and as restrictions are lifted, I think we're going to see restaurants and bars um, getting a big boom, even if they're open now at a lower capacity. And once they're open to full capacity, once people get more comfortable with going out in the post-COVID world and the vaccines are readily available, you get more servers and bartenders back to work. I think you're going to see the same thing in the travel and the hospitality and the entertainment sectors. So you've got a group of people who did not lose their job, who did not lose their income, who have money to spend and a demand to go places. They have a demand to go travel and go on vacations and get back down to Disney World and, and spend money. And then you've got the people who worked in those industries who were impacted by the shutdown. Um, they're going to be earning again. They're going to get back to having their regular jobs again. I think a little bit later in that same vein, you're going to see conferences and trade shows getting back up and running. Um, and again, that's going to have an impact on the airlines, the hotels, the restaurants and bars and all the service industries around all that. Just people traveling for fun and, and mass groups of people traveling for businesses and trade shows. I think in our local economies, you're going to see the mom and pop, the brick and mortar retails. Um, getting getting back up, getting a little boost as well. You know, for the past year, everybody's kind of gotten used to buying everything on Amazon and buying everything online. Um, but again, more once we get comfortable again in the post-COVID world, we're going to be more people spending money back in our own communities again. Um, I think we're going to see the non-essential small businesses, the manufacturing jobs that were quote-unquote non-essential going back to work. Some of those companies now, as you all were just talking about with rates being low, that can be a positive for those companies now that they can go borrow money cheaply and expand and uh, grow their operations. 
with the whole world being involved with uh, the small businesses, you know, global supply chains reopening back up as other countries get back to their normal as well. Um, so it's not going to affect manufacturing as much here in America anymore. Once those supply chains are back open everywhere and, and goods are flying across borders, um, more back to normal. So again, as businesses open back up, as patrons are starting frequenting those businesses more, you get more money, more wages to the waiters and the bartenders and the employees in those jobs. Um, more money going into the economy, more people can spend again. I think some things that we may be looking at permanent changes, um, you know, housing, as you all touched on again, with, with rates being so low, people are buying new houses at, at record uh, record levels, it almost seems like. And, and, you know, during the shutdown, we saw companies like Home Depot and Lowe's have great years, you know, it kind of makes sense. You know, a lot of people sitting at home looking at that room, otherwise they would have been at work, but now all of a sudden they want to remodel that room that they've been looking at for the last nine months. So that makes sense there for the, the, the Home Depots and the Lowe's. But, you know, we've also seen this exodus from big cities into the suburbs. And, and you know, if that is a large enough change and a permanent enough change, that could really have a major impact on the local economy. So those larger cities around the country that may not be the same anymore with people wanting to spread out and have their own space um, and not be literally on top of each other um, going forward. I think in some industries, we could actually see the shift away from global supply chains and more towards sourcing materials um, locally this is gonna you know, avoid issues if there's another global pandemic or another global equivalent issue that shuts down a global supply chain. Some of those companies are gonna say, hey, we wanna be ready for that and not have to rely on getting our raw materials from another country. So we could see the change in the economy that way. Um, I think many businesses over this past year have been forced to work remotely we can see the permanent shift towards working at home. You know, we can see a decline in the demand for commercial real estate in, in downtown areas. Um, we in our business have had a heavier reliance on technology and we're not alone. A lot of businesses have had the higher reliance on technology like Zoom and, and cloud-based technologies. So again, those technologies and companies are poised to continue to make big gains. I think some industries as well, you're going to see a downsize in labor. You're going to see a substitution of capital for labor. So for example, if you have a large manufacturing company that's heavily reliant on human labor, well, now they see that they're vulnerable to a disruption by a virus. Going forward, they may shift more towards robotics. So it could be even an overall lower cost for the company, high upfront cost, but going forward, less payroll, less health insurance, retirement plans and workers' comp, et cetera. Um, so in a way, I guess good for the company, but you know, the, the, the downside of that then is less people employed in the labor. So in the short term, I think we're going to see a boom for small businesses and local economies driven by just this pent up demand and government stimulus. Um, and in the longer term, maybe some more permanent changes due to the, the technology was always on the horizon. Um, but to Andy's point earlier, this, this situation really accelerated that process and cemented some things that. Uh, maybe a few earlier than otherwise would have occurred. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think about the economy and, you know, what it's going to look like, and I think there is a lot of optimism in this sort of post-COVID world, you know, the scar tissue that might be there that we're not anticipating, you know, in, in some of these businesses and banks, for instance. I mean, there, there's just a lot that 
that will reveal itself that will surprise us some positive surprises and also some negatives to come with it it's um, i think that's what this year will, will be a big will be about so i'm going to go around the room we'll kind of close on this last couple of questions before andy actually gives us some thoughts kind of overall and what clients need to be thinking about for the for the calendar year um tail uh, excuse me uh, headwinds let's do that let's do the negative first and then we'll, we'll end uh, on a positive um looking at next year several years cameron we'll start with you um what headwinds do you see economies markets investors yeah, yeah uh <laughs> don't shoot the messenger on this one and you know in the past I've been a big believer that the one that got us this time isn't going to be the one that gets us next time. It's going to come out of left field. But in this case, I, I think we have to say COVID is going to be a big headwind, um, you know, U.S. globally next year to three years. Um, you know, I think the markets are pricing in a good vaccine rollout that has proved to be slower than many people had hoped. Um, we're hearing about viral mutations that so far, knock on wood, um, vaccines are taken care of, but who knows there. Um, and, you know, this is a disease, coronavirus, just like the common cold, that it could be an annual thing. So, you know, I hope that it's not a malaise on our economy dealing with this every year um, and that we can nip it in the bud, so to speak, but um, that might not prove to be the case. So I think it's a big headwind. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll focus more on the markets. Uh, I think, you know, your, your big pandemic winners, so your, your tech, e-commerce, home delivery companies, um, I think they've done so well right in 2020. Uh, I think they're going to face uh, very tough earnings comparisons in, in 2021 and beyond. Um, and those some of those companies, particularly big tech, uh, make up such a large percentage of, of the uh, S&P 500 or whatever index you're, you're looking at, that uh, that could be a headwind for, for markets overall. All right, Frank. I think it's gonna be, um, maybe a little counterintuitively, but technology and, and jobs, the acceleration of technology development and adoption, I think it's gonna replace a lot of your assembly line type workers with the technology and robotics. And that could, you know, down the road, exacerbate the separation of wealth between the haves and the have-nots of who gets to keep their job and who doesn't. Good point. Andy? We're going to have to look at the, in the mirror at some point and ask the question, are we at artificial levels? You know, if you think about what we've gone through recently, we've created a whole new set of debt. We've, we're going to have at some point a tapering of stimulus. We have l low rate levels that have been set. We've also seen a just generosity in the in the U.S. population that we typically won't see and will wear off at some point. So we're going to have to look in the mirror and see if we can stand on our own two feet at some point. When that is, I don't know, but you know, we we, we can all agree that there is some degree of stimulus we're we're all sitting on top of in the in the market and the economy sitting on top of right now. We gotta we gotta get off it at some point. And I'll I'll just add sort of the backdrop of political division that is still there and just seems to be further emboldened every year. And I think the blame, there are, there are a lot of people to blame. I mean, it, it could be leadership in both parties, it could be media, it could be whoever you wanna blame. There are a lot of people I think that, that created this situation, but we are in a world today 
where people are sort of buying into two different sets of, of, of facts and information, and that makes it very difficult uh, for uh, any amount of negotiation or, um, you know, sort of meeting in some sort of a moderate solution. So I, I hope that that washes away to some degree, but um, there, there are no signs at this point that political division is, is, is going away anytime soon. So let's end on some happier stuff. Uh, tailwinds. Um, Cam, start with you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I can shout USA here. I think we're still the home to innovation. Last year, Pfizer and Moderna were great examples of that, that, you know, we are the leaders in the knowledge um, and service economy uh, that the world is moving towards. Uh, we're still the number one place to invest. Uh, U.S. Treasuries are still the risk-free investment globally. We're still over half of the global equity market. So I think that's a tailwind to remain in leadership. Brian? Yeah, I would say hopefully with widespread vaccinations um, by, you know, Q2 of this year, um, all the activities that were put off in the stay-at-home stay environment should hopefully resume. Uh, I think there's a great deal of demand there. Um, and it's not hard to imagine a, a Q3 and Q4 of this year uh, that look more like 2019 uh, than they do 2020. Uh, so hopeful there uh, with vaccinations that we get our economy back to uh, where it was prior to this pandemic. Frank? I think it depends up demand. I think people are, a lot of people are ready to get back to a normal and a lot of people are ready to get back to just going back out and spending and, and participating in the economy and restarting their businesses and opening the doors again. And, and a little bit of an echo on what Cam said with USA, I, I, I truly believe in the American spirit and people, you know, rallying after uh, a, a negative event like this and really coming together and, and moving forward in a positive way. Andy? Low rates, it's a two-sided coin. It's a headwind and a tailwind. Um, you know, it's, it's the lever that I think has pushed us to where we are today from a, being able to go out and borrow and spend and then also pushing money into the equity markets. So, you know, the Fed's come out and said they, they intend to keep them low for a while. I don't anticipate those significantly going up over the next 12 months. So, I think that'll continue to be a driver of economic growth and, and equity growth over the next 12 months. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add, you know, and we've said this before, to be a long-term investor, you have to have some amount of faith in mankind to, to innovate through uh, challenging times. If you look back over uh, the history of this country, specifically some of the largest companies that exist today in the world were started in some of the deepest of recessions. If we look back over the last 12 months, think of the innovation that uh, businesses, large and small, have have uh, created and and, uh, and and really advanced their business in so many ways in the face of really, you know, horrifying conditions. So um, I think entrepreneurship is is encouraged today in our youth, and I think it will continue to be something that people aspire. Uh, to to create and, and start businesses, and I think that that gives all of us a lot of of um, optimism in in you know where th this country can go and, and how how investors could benefit from that. So Andy, I want to go ahead and hand it to you and let you uh, bring us home. 
Yeah, so just a sincere thank you to everybody who's who's watched this and to our clients who've stuck with us through the past 12 months. Um, you know, I, I think as we put in our quarterly letter, it's it's been one of the most humbling times of our careers. Um, and as we had time to reflect on the, the chair that we sit in and, and what we do, um, it's it's an honor that that we truly feel for, for every single one of you. Um, so thank you for, for that continued support. We're also, you know, as we said, pleased to, to say that we didn't have a single client make an irrational decision. And that's a testament to, to, to all of our clients who work with us and hearing the words that, that we share and, and believing in our philosophy. Um, I think 2020 is better than any other year prove that the way we're doing things is, is the right way to do it and, and it's, it's working well. Um, you know, I think it's important in times like these to, from a market standpoint, a portfolio standpoint, and looking at your personal finances and your balance sheet, just remember to, to remain disciplined and, and not to become complacent for making good decisions in good times allows us to be prudent and allows us to stick to a plan in bad times. Um, so as we've said, you know, back in the spring, don't overreact and, and get too conservative. You know, when, when we're looking at markets like we're seeing today, you know, don't get complacent and get too greedy either. So it's a great time to take a step back and, and look at things um, for your own for your own plans. And I just wanted to kind of finish with it's, it's this time of year that we typically um, go to a, a conference as a team. Um, and it's something I think I'll, I'll speak for all of us we look forward to. Um, and, you know, we, we all generally like each other. Um, and, you know, Frank made a comment about, at least I like you guys. You, you guys may, <laughs> I see some of you smiling. Um, you know, I, I think Frank made a comment about conferences and, and, you know, as we get through this time of this pandemic, um, it's something I, you know, it's, it's not just people and their friends and family and, and whatnot that they're longing for. But I think, I think there will be a, a desire just in business too, to, to go do those things that you enjoy and, and, you know, spending time with your colleagues and spending time, um, you know, just getting back to a normal life. And I think that's a huge headwind for, excuse me, a huge tailwind for, um, just the economy and, and the markets and, and, you know, 2020, I don't think was a fun year for anybody, but you know, it will, it will end, we'll get through it. And I think there's a, a bright future to come. So thank you for everybody who's, who's stuck with us through this crazy time. Um, I think there's only better things to come. The content and opinions expressed during this conversation are those of the participants and do not represent financial advice, guidance, or a recommendation on behalf of the participants or Ballast Incorporated. You should not treat any opinion expressed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of opinion, which may change as circumstances change. Ballast is not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided within. Opinions discussed are based upon information considered reliable at the time of recording. Such information is not warranted for its completeness or accuracy and should not be relied upon as such.
Past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should be aware of the real risk of loss in investing in any security. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than they invested. Investments or strategies mentioned in this content may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended to be a recommendation appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned. Before acting on information discussed, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances, and Ballas strongly encourages you to seek advice from your own financial advisor, CPA, or attorney. Nothing discussed should be considered investment, tax, or legal advice. Ballast Inc., also known as Ballast, is a registered investment advisor. Certain advisory persons of Ballast are also registered representatives of APW Capital Inc., also known as APW, which is a member of the FINRA and SIPC. Their address is 100 Enterprise Drive, Suite 504 in Rockaway, New Jersey. The postal code is 07866. Their number is 1-800-637-3211. In their separate capacity as registered representatives, securities are offered through APW. Ballast and APW are not affiliated.